Chapter 8 of Roman Color Detective by Grace and Harold Johnson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter 8 After leaving the Linton home, Father Tim and Bill drove to the Sportsmen's Club at the junction of Routes 12 and 7. When they pulled into the deserted parking lot beside the yellow brick building, Father Tim looked nervously at the clock on the dashboard. It was 3.25. He should be back on St. Mary's grounds now, checking to see that everything was in shape for the opening of the festival. And here he was, four miles from there, and headed for an interview, which could be time-consuming. He'd have to be back by 4.15. As they entered the club, Father Tim was blinded for a moment, while he struggled to adjust his eyes to the half-dark, air-conditioned interior. He stopped awkwardly behind Bill, and glanced around the expensively furnished room. Two men sat facing each other in a booth, and at a table in the rear, a man worked with a pencil, checking a small pile of papers. From behind the bar, a heavy-set, red-faced bartender eyed them dourly. He leaned forward, forearms on the bar, as Bill approached. "'Remember me?' Bill asked. "'I was here last Saturday night, about eight-thirty, and got a glass of beer.' The bartender raised the fingers of his right hand, looked from Bill to the man checking papers in the rear, then back to Bill." A lot of people come in here for a beer. Saturday night's a busy time. Father Tim watched the man at the rear table push the papers against the wall, get up, and walk toward them. He was thin. His black hair was greased down, and a faint hairline mustache made an indelible mark on his pallid upper lip. Afternoon, Father. Anything I can do for you? I'm Santos. Jules Santos. Father Tim introduced himself and Bill. Then, after a brief outline of the murder of Blake the evening before, he said, My brother stopped in here Saturday evening about 8.30 and got a glass of beer. He's here to establish the fact, but your bartender seems unable to remember him. Santos's face creased in a frown. What's wrong with coming in here for a beer? Sheriff Benteen seems to believe I came here to gamble and that I lost a lot of money, which I couldn't pay up, Bill said. He thinks you guys were after me to pay, and that for some reason, because of that, I killed Blake. Benteen sending for a motive. Santos tried for a disarming smile, but the nervous twitch of his mustache told Father Tim that he didn't like being questioned. Benteen knows there's no gambling here, Santos said. Why, we just serve food and drinks. He looked at the bartender. How about it, Danny? You remember this man now, of course. Sure, sure I do. He came in last Saturday night about 8.30 and got a beer. Sat on that end stool up front, didn't you? Bill nodded. That's right. Santos rubbed his hands together. Good, that settles it. The bartender's face became a smiling full moon. He'd said the right thing. The boss was satisfied. Santos turned to Father Tim. How would Benteen get me mixed up with Blake? I don't know. Why, all I'd do is rent this building from him. Mr. Blake was my landlord, that's all. I don't get it. Benteen knows I've quit gambling. I'm clean now, ever since the government made us guys register and pay a gambling tax. Takes all the profit, and it attaches a stigma to the club. All I do now is operate this place. Eats and drinks, that's all. Santos laughed harshly. Benteen doesn't need to come here to find gambling. It's done in some of the best homes in town and it's not penny-ante either. 
nothing wrong about a bunch of guys getting together for an evening's recreation, losing a few bucks, just so it doesn't bring hardship on their families. That kind of gambling can be charged up to entertainment, Bill said. That's not the games I'm thinking of, Santos said. There's some of Galton's rich guys who play for big stakes, and I hear one of them been going to the cleaners regularly. He took a step toward Father Tim and whispered, I think you know him, Frank Stone. Father Tim nodded. Santos stepped back, rubbed his hands together. Now, what can I get for you, gentlemen? It's on the house. Nothing, thank you, Father Tim said, and moved toward the door. I guess we'll be going. Bill followed quietly after his brother. The heat from the leather-cushioned seat of the car burned through Father Tim's clothes as he slid in beside Bill, who had taken his place behind the wheel. We should have parked the car in the shade. Bill paid no attention to the remark as he released the brake and got the convertible under way. I'd say Greasy Hair's a liar. John Linton wouldn't make a crack about Blake and Santos being partners unless he was sure of his facts. Where'd you hear Mr. Linton say that? Father Tim asked. I didn't. Benteen said Linton told him last night that Santos and Blake were partners, but he said it wasn't true, that Linton was just saying it to cover up for me. There must be something to it if John Linton says so, Father Tim said. Then he leaned back against the cushions, clasped his hands behind his head, and relaxed in the luxury of the wind blowing through his red hair. Dinner with Father Kearney was no time for trivial talk, no time to discuss problems solved or to be solved. You either ate in complete silence, or, if Father Kearney was in the mood, joined in the consideration of some abstract subject. Tonight he chose to discuss faith. It was hard for Father Tim to keep his mind from his brother's problems, yet with a golden flow of words he was soon listening intently to Father Kearney develop his subject. He leaned heavily on the faith of Brother André, founder of St. Joseph's Oratory in Montreal, and upon the saints of the church. After dinner, Father Kearney said, Come, let's go into my office for a few minutes. Father Tim followed his superior to the office, which adjoined the reception room. He understood. It was against Father Kearney's principles to allow the dinner hour to be marred by a discussion of troubles or problems. Father Kearney was going to give him a chance now to talk about Bill. The pastor seated himself behind his desk, clasped his hands together, and leaned forward, looking kindly at his young assistant, seated in the visitor's chair. Father Tim knew that although he had been given permission to be with his brother during the afternoon, Father Kearney would rather have had him doing his work. He recalled how, on his first day at St. Mary's, Father Kearney had told him not to fritter away the parish's time, because time was the essence of work for the glory of God. "'How did it go this afternoon?' Father Kearney asked. Has your brother established his innocence? Father Tim shook his head. No, Father. On the contrary, he seems to be involved deeper and deeper as time goes on. He then told of Bill's visit to the sheriff's office that morning, of their visit to Linton's and to the sportsman's club. With no results? No results, Father. I know how you feel, Father Kearney said. It's your brother who's involved. However, I see little you can do about it unless you fancy yourself a detective. Father Tim flushed slightly. I have no such delusion, Father. Good, then we'll get back to our own parish work. We've a festival underway. John Linton gave it a splendid write-up, with pictures in the news today. 
I do hope we have a good crowd. It's going to be a fine evening, though a bit warm. Speaking of Mr. Linton, I'd like to play detective for a minute, if I may. Father Kearney laughed and nodded. Certainly, go ahead. I believe Mr. Linton's life is in danger. The pastor leaned forward, attentive. I think Mr. Blake was mistaken for Mr. Linton, and that's how he happened to be murdered. There's a close resemblance between the two men, especially when viewed from the rear. Father Tim then related how even Jerry Laughlin had mistaken them once and had followed Blake, thinking he was Linton. Father Kearney's fingers, which had been clasped in front of him on the desk, were now tapping nervously. For several minutes he sat there without speaking. The small desk clock ticked loudly in the silence. "'It may be as you say,' Father Kearney said. "'I'll speak to John about it tonight. He should be on his guard. Maybe there's a bit of detective in you after all, Tim, but for John Linton's sake, I hope you're wrong in your deduction.'" End of chapter 8